When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopaedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to care and the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. I'm Ike Parra, and you're listening to The Sound of the Loons. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast presented by alina health orthopedics i'm steve mcpherson and i'm joined by callum williams we're into the western conference semifinals of the audi 2020 mls cup playoffs this week with minnesota united heading to kansas city to face skc on thursday december 3rd which is not tuesday or sorry did i say thursday yes correct okay it's not wednesday that was what it was originally thursday december 3rd at 7 30 p.m and that game has been moved from fs1 so just Fox. There's no, there's no numbers. There's no, it's not sports. It's just, it's just Fox. It's like where you watch the Simpsons and stuff like that. Um, which is, which is pretty fun. Um, Cal, I have a question for you. How do you feel about sparkling water? I think it's gross. You're not a sparkling water guy. No, 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 no. Just plain water for me. No problem. If it, are we talking flavored or just regular? No. Let's, let's start from regular, non-flavored. So I'm not talking LaCroix. I'm just saying like if you're in a restaurant, like when you go to France or whatever, <laughs> if you've been to France or, or, you know, they'll be like, do you want it? You know, do you want sparkling or still like, like song gaz or, or, or gaz? So like, you know, what do you say? You're, you're flat. The sparkling water, um, grim, gross. It's like drinking water from the swamp. It's just not great. I don't like it at all. It's bubbling with sulfur. It's bubbling, not usually yeah. sulfur, but <laughs> now, okay. But flavored, do you enjoy a do you enjoy a flavored water? I don't know, flavored, yeah. The flavored's not not too bad at all. But okay. sparkling water in general makes me a bit. Well, it, it just confuses me really. I'm like, why is this sparkling? If it's sparkling, do, do we not classify it as a soda? Like, why, why is it just sparkling? Why can't water just be water? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I feel you. I feel like the flavored sparkling waters are what I drink when I don't want when I want a flavor to something, but I don't want to drink a soda or something like that. So it's a little better. It feels a little better for you than like even a diet Coke or something like that. But I I came around on, on certain kinds of sparkling water, like Topo Chico, uh, which is a, which is uh, I believe Mexican is an excellent sparkling water or, you know, Pellegrino. Um, it, it can be kind of nice occasionally for, if you want to get classy, I guess, but, um, yeah, I grew up not, I, I, I didn't, it always seemed classy perrier i don't know it seemed classy growing up so it's closer to champagne isn't it so I'm perrier. that's a champagne i'll drink that all night no problem like, yeah <laughs> <laughs> there you go no i thought that um i grew up I, I was like i'm never gonna drink sparkling water i have soda and I have water why would i make them come together but i i and now i'm sort of now that i'm old i guess I, maybe i'm just because i'm old maybe it's coming up for you i know you're 30 now so eventually you'll hit that point where you just have to start drinking sparkling water and wearing high-waisted pants and white sneakers um so 
<laughs> no, that's being American, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Florida for you. All right, hey. uh, let's talk about uh, let's talk a little bit about the playoffs here. I wanted to talk about um, upsets because going back to our last episode, um, I believe we both confidently, you know, said that after the play-in games, we favored Toronto and Philly against any comers, and uh, now they're they're both out, including Portland, also in the West. So those top six teams across both conferences, only three of them are still out there. And uh, it's interesting to me because for a long time, at least ever since I started working in MLS in 2017, there's always this talk about parity in the league and how, you know, there's, it's, there's not dynasties or there's not these sort of perennial champs in the same way. Um, And yet we've seen, you know, Toronto have tremendous success winning the treble. Uh, Maybe we'll touch on Greg Vanny stepping down as Toronto's coach, but you know, they won the treble in 2017 um, repeatedly getting to the finals, Seattle, another, another team that's always in the finals sort of semi dynasties, you know Um, but the, the switch to single elimination games, which has happened really does sort of make it like anything can happen. And I, I think my overall question, I, I'd be interested in your opinion overall on that for those first round games, but um, are we maybe in, is it possible we're in a kind of sweet spot actually between parody and dynasty in a way that I think we might be uncomfortable. It might be a little uncomfortable for people um, who are used to one or the other in their sports. Um, like if you look at the NCAA March Madness tournament, there's upsets galore, right? It's like any team can upset any other team, especially as college basketball overall has sort of risen the, like raised the bar the matchups between these different ranked teams are not as dis- are not as big of a disparity as you might think. But then you have the NBA where the Cavs and the Warriors met in the finals for four years in a row. And it was sort of like, well, these are the teams who are going to be at the end. It seems sort of like, yes, we have these semi-dynasties, these perennial front runners, these teams like, you know, you know, obviously it's been a weird season. So LAFC, not, not in that position now, but your LAFCs, your Atlanta United, they're obviously sort of, you know, in the middle of restructuring and sort of refiguring out who they are, but Toronto, Seattle, these teams that are going to be there, but then in, in a moment's notice, they could get flipped by an upstart team, like your Nashville's or something like that. So I think it's kind of fun right now. Yeah, it, I think, look, Major League Soccer, Steve, is unique in that sense from a footballing standpoint because I, I don't know any other league in the world that has the parity that it does. You could argue some of the new startups like the Indian Super League maybe and maybe the Australian A-League has, has an element of parity about it as well. But um, for the most part, in, in most leagues, yes, it's um, it, it really is your regulars that are usually towards the upper echelons of the league and, and the rest just sort of scrap by and, and you know, a good season is finishing mid-table, you know, and um, that's just not the way it works in Major League Soccer. And again, it's, it's, why it's why it's unique and why we love it. You know, the fact that the fact that the eighth seed New England are in the conference final of the Eastern Conference just tells you that, you know, you can go into the postseason with a little bit of momentum. And if you've got an experienced head coach, which they do, anything's possible. Um, you know, and, and Nashville are a prime example um, coming into it uh, on, a, on a, a decent run, not a great run, but a decent run, um, particularly when they were playing at home as well. Um, and I think the, the thing about Nashville for me as well, Steve, is that they they were able to quickly identify what they were. You know, it, it, it took them a little while, um, you know, when, when things were normal the first couple of games of the season. But once they had the time to establish what they were and knew the types of players that they wanted and, and the types of players that they needed to play the, the way that they wanted, then, then that's okay for them. But I would also argue it's not necessarily the way they want to play, it's the way that they are forced to play in an expansion season. And that's okay, that's fine. 
Um, and, and it worked wonders for them. You know, signing players like Dax McCarthy, Dax has done this a million times. As has, you know, Gary Smith was, was the MLS Cup champion with Colorado Rapids. He was the head coach. You know, he's done this before, you know. Um, but ultimately, Steve, as you're insinuating, these playoffs have been fun. Um, and I don't ever remember a post-season Major League Soccer that wasn't fun. And, and that's, that's where I kind of think this league is unique because I have covered playoffs in the past um, in England, for example, and it, it hasn't been as, as fun. It's been a little more reserved. And, and a lot of that, as you quite rightly say, it comes down to because now it's single elimination and you have to force the issue. Um, at some stage, you have to. Um, and I, again, I, I think it's, it's worked wonders for Major League Soccer, this, this single elimination um, process. It's been really good. So um, I, I, this is the thing as well. Trying to predict moving forward is nigh impossible because it just depends on who shows up during the day. Yes, you can break down your tactics. You can say such and such should be doing this. This is what they usually do against this kind of opponent. But ultimately, it just depends on what happens on the day. And that's why we love this league. Yeah. I mean, you, you look, Cal, like I think I, I, the one thing I was smart about is I said that, uh, you know, I picked the, the Revs for the, the play-in game saying that I feel like Bruce Arena has that experience and that that coaching experience is big. I mean, I feel like the Revs' success, I mean, is down to do things. Bruce Arena and that coaching experience and that adjustments in the playoffs and sort of understanding how to game plan for an opponent and execute that game plan is huge. And then Carlos Hill being healthy, which he was not most of the season. You roll into the playoffs with a guy like that, a, a game changer alongside Bo. They look good. Um, and now suddenly they look like the team, you know, they've sort of been lying. It seems, feels like they've been lying in the weeds a little bit for most of the season, you know, like floating down there. And then it's like, now they've got all their guys healthy heading into the postseason. And yeah, it's, it seems impossible to predict that East. Yeah. Also, what I've also is um, holding midfielder appreciation society at the Revs as well. The combination of Polster and Caldwell, um, I, I thought were, were good, actually. Uh, Caldwell made the one mistake. He, didn't, he, he lost his mark for the Orlando goal. But um, I, I, there's a reason why these players are allowed to play the way they are, and it, and it comes from the solidity and the foundation of the centre of midfield for the reps. But uh, Gustavo Bowe is, is top class. Carlos Gil is somebody I'm familiar with, having seen him play in the Premier League uh, with Aston Villa. Um, and when he gets going, he's magical. Um, just a wonderful player. Um, Buxa is is um, is almost best described as like a robust centre forward. He's somebody who, if you were to, if I was to say to you, what's Adam Buxa's Books, um, um, best trait? What's his best quality? You'd, you'd probably struggle to to identify something because he's one of these all round centre forwards. Mm-hmm. He can play the target man. I'm not I'm not sure he could. Look, I'm sure he could press. I don't know if he would be as as effective as somebody with pace. But my point is, is that. The Revs seem to have just about a bit of everything, really. Um, the um, emergence of Tejon Buchanan as a right-back as well has really helped um, and has added um, an element that not a lot of people were prepared to deal with as well. So, um, look, for me, the, the Revs, uh, I put it out the other day on social media. Uh, as I said, I, I had a conversation with a friend. Um, this was after our podcast. And I said, you, you can't count out the Revs because Bruce Arena has been here so many times. He knows what he's doing. and wouldn't it be so 2020 if, as I said earlier on, the eighth seed New England Revolution, who usually wouldn't qualify, eight seed doesn't usually get your qualification for the postseason. Right. Wouldn't it be so 2020 if they went on and won the cup? 
Yeah. Well, what Boston doesn't need is another team winning a championship at this point. They've just no. the Pats <laughs> and the Celtics. It's just it's too much. They're already insufferable. So let's not let's not give them that. Uh, let's uh, <laughs> let's talk a little bit, Cal, about uh, just the news that broke this morning. Greg Vanney stepping down as as Toronto FC's head coach. Um, I don't know if you've heard anything about this. I mean, is this just one of those moments where it's like you did so much for this team, um, but you know, it, it, it went badly and now it's time to just move on to something else. I mean, they, they, they phrased it as stepping down, which makes it sound sort of like it was a little mutual or, or, or something, but you know, one never knows with these kind of things. Well, there's an abundance of question marks around this really, isn't there, Steve? Because um, we, we knew this was a contract year for Greg Vanner, but nobody really thought that, that the relationship would, would come to an end because he's done so well. You have to remember when he took over in 2014, Toronto had never made the playoffs. Right. After seven years in Major League Soccer, they'd never made the postseason. And he, he turned the club around. And yes, look, he had a, a lot of help with the um, cash flow uh, that was uh, installed in Toronto FC, signing players like Jovinko, Bradley, Altador, Jermaine Defoe for a little bit as well. Um, Piatti now this season, Pozuelo. Um, he's had a lot of help, but you still have to manufacture a culture. You still have to get everybody on the same page and play effective football. And, and I think Greg Vanney deserves all the credit um, that, that, he's, that he is due. Um, I thought he did a great job at Toronto. Um, the, the interesting thing, so like you said, in the press release, it says that he stepped down. I wonder, and myself and Kendra spoke about this on the other podcast as well, but I wonder if it got to the stage where he thought, I don't know if I can take this team any further, or was it Ali Curtis and co who thought that, instead and thought right maybe we need to move on because honestly I, I thought Steve that this was going to be sort of like a Peter Vermees type thing and, and he was going to be there for 10 plus years you know it just seemed to fit and everything was working around him yes they had to slip up uh, in 2019 but for the most part everything around them was working so well not in 2019 sorry in 2018 mm-hmm. um, and um, I, I thought everything was moving so fluidly around them and, and I thought yeah this club is going to be under this coaching staff for a long time um, now, the, the question mark now is, is what happens next? Because um, I, I said this on the other podcast, and I know we're live now, so I'll just go ahead and say it. I, um, I was told from somebody um, within, um, somebody who's got good, good contacts, let's say that, um, that he, uh, he has already had a conversation with LA Galaxy, who's Greg Vanning, mm, okay. which is not completely surprising. It seems to be the obvious move for him. Um, he's a, a Californian kid as well um, and I think the Galaxy are in need of stability probably more than ever before and I think he could provide it a long-term project as well um, so I could see that happening but the, um, the the biggest question for me now is is what did Toronto do because when Vanny took over they were essentially at best a mid-table Eastern Conference team now it's it, it is a legitimate argument to say they are perhaps not a global brand, but certainly an international brand. People know who Toronto FC are because of the calibre of players they've signed over the last five or six years. Around the world, people know who Toronto are. That comes with expectation. That comes with, with the understanding that you're going to be towards the upper echelons of the Eastern Conference year after year. So one would assume that requires somewhat of a large name in terms of the head coach. So 
what do they do? Do they go abroad and go the, the, the route that so many teams that have got a bit of cash to splash in the past have and go with a big foreign name, which doesn't always work. We've seen that in this league. Mm-hmm. Or do they do something outlandish and try and get somebody like a, a North American? Do they try and go for the best in North America and try and prize someone like, like a Peter Vermees away from Kansas City? Much like they tried to do with, with Adrian Heath when he was at Orlando several years ago. You know, sure. what, what do they try and do? Do they try and, and go for, you know, essentially a, a comfort blanket in somebody <clears throat> like a Peter Vermees who you know can deliver given time? Or do they go the foreign route and, and go for someone that they know will potentially put bums on seats, might attract other star players. And the interesting thing about this now, Steve, is that there is so much pressure on Ali Curtis to get this right because the, the GM for TFC, for those unaware. So if, if they don't get it right, if Ali Curtis doesn't get this right, it, it, you remember the Atlanta situation, all the fingers were pointed at DeBoer. And, yeah. and quite rightly so. If it happens here at Toronto when they bring in a big name, I think the fingers will be pointing at Ali Curtis. So let's wait and see. But it's a fascinating story, Steve. I couldn't believe it when I woke up this morning and, and I got the text from, from Kindred E saying, Auburn, actually, I couldn't believe it. And I was immediately texting people trying to find out what, what's going on, what's happened, you know. Um, so it, it's look, because for me, Toronto are one of the biggest teams in Major League Soccer now. And I'm mm-hmm. absolutely intrigued to see what they do over the course of the next few months. Yeah, I would say, Cal, if Toronto is able to pry away Peter Vermees in the next day or two that would be ideal for <laughs> Minnesota United um but uh, I think that it, you bring up an interesting point I mean I, immediately as you talk about bringing in an international head coach with you know sort of the pedigree and everything like that I thought of Atlanta United and and their sort of plan but the problem is that you can miss on those plans uh, as they did with Frank DeBora just didn't just didn't work out I will say that I think that the there's something to de- Regardless of whether this was from, you know, Greg Banny's side or from Toronto's side or some kind of mutual understanding between the two of them, there is something to be said for cutting bait at a moment when there has still been recent success, but you have a sense that maybe that's not going to work in the future. Um, Rather than, I think that a lot of times... You know, and there's a thing we've talked about before in MLS and, and soccer in general, this question of if you're a selling league, and this is not necessarily related directly to that, but it's sort of more about the ethos of how MLS works. You know, in, in the NBA, you're looking to find your guy who's going to be your guy for 10 seasons or something like that. In, in MLS, as a sort of a, a stepping stone league to other leagues, there is something worthwhile to consider about the idea that like, hey, you know, Greg Vanny took a team that was nowhere turned it around. They've had success this year. They bowed out in the first round. Like, let's just move. Right. You know, maybe it benefits Greg Vanny. He gets to go to a situation like LA galaxy as an example, if you're, you know, you mentioned that maybe that's a possibility for him. He gets to go to a good situation where he is not tarnished by having done a good job and then having to hang on through several years of things, not working before moving on. He just moves on directly from that. Toronto also comes off of being successful and being elevated, having players like Jovinko, like, like you said, these, these international people, Pozuelo, et cetera, they're, they're attractive. They can attract a different level of head coach than they could have attracted when Greg Vanny became the head coach, you know? So, you know, I don't know if it works. I don't know if it always works, but there is something to that idea of not saying we're going to keep this going for a long time to see if we can recapture something. Instead, we're just going to move and then we'll just deal with the new situation. And I think there's something kind of, it's interesting. So, what, what, what is interesting, Steve, and what's quite exciting from just the generic Major League Soccer fan point of view is that if you think about some of the jobs that are available right now, massive markets, Toronto, LA Galaxy still at the moment as it stands, Atlanta, 
and DC United, all humongous markets, very attractive to very attractive people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's um, let's move on and talk a little bit about. I wanted to talk about the attack, Minnesota United's attack, and the question of uh, the the heading here I have is the orthodoxy of forwards. Um, the I feel like since Minnesota has been in MLS, there's been this discussion about what kind of forward is going to work for Minnesota United. What kind of forward do they do they need? They've sort of struggled to have consistent production at the forward position. Uh, from you know, Christian Ramirez, obviously hometown hero for Minnesota United and Minnesota United fans, but, but not a perfect forward by any means, you know, like, you know, he had, he had issues with his game. They wanted to do, get different things out of it. We had Angelo Rodriguez who played sort of a holdup role, uh, who, again, we talked about not necessarily a guy you look to score a lot, but a guy who's going to lay off to other players. Um, didn't work out so well for him. We had Abu Danladi and Mason Toy. They're young, they're speedsters. They get in behind, but you know, never really clicked entirely while they were here. Um, Kai Kamara, who we, who we have now, uh, who's great. He's tall. He's an aerial threat. Um, but he's obviously getting older. He's probably not your solution for years to come or anything like that. And just in the last couple of games, Adrian Heath has hit on this solution of, as he said himself, just put your best four players who are attackers out there in the front of the attack and worry a little bit less about like what it means to be a forward or what is the quality of a forward and just say, listen, all these guys, all these guys can, they can pass to different, you know, they, they're all, they can all pass. Well, um, Finlay, we're talking about here about Ethan Finlay, Emmanuel Reynoso, Kevin Molino and Robin Lud. They can all pass. They can all score goals. They can all run in behind, you know, they, you know, they interchange with each other and it's working right now. It's really attractive football to be watching out there so it's 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 kind of it's kind of fun We're like maybe we maybe you don't need a forward at this point uh-huh. well what i will say steve it, it's it's possibly the most un-adrian heath thing i've ever seen <laughs> right. um, he, he loves working with center forwards he's done it for a long long time um in every job he's had he's always had a preferred center forward he's always had somebody who he tries to work with and um yeah, this this is just the complete opposite. And I don't know if it's maybe because he's got other forwards on the roster that he perhaps doesn't think need much work. Um, you know, which, if you think about it, it's probably true because Aaron Schoenfeld and Kai Kamara are about as complete of a version as what they're probably going to be now as, as players. So, um, but it, it's still very un-Adrian Heath because he always has a centre-forward on the field. And that's most teams in a basic football match do. But... Um, what we've been exposed to is the versatility of Robin Lurt, um, who we, we had a little glimpse of, didn't we, when he was um, playing on the right-hand side of, of um, the three behind the forward, and, and to great effect. Um, but I think him playing as a centre-forward now just does show how versatile he is, because he's played as a number eight for Finland as well. He's played as a centre-forward in the past as well. Um, so... Um, all credit has to go to Robin Lord at the moment, Steve. I said that the one thing I'm most impressed with more than anything with, with Lord, and we mentioned this in our media availability to Adrian Heath yesterday or the day before, whenever it was. Um, I love the fact that Robin Lord, um, you, you mentioned it briefly, he, he's not necessarily going to do what a regular centre forward does. He may not necessarily make a near post run. He may not necessarily press as much as as people expect this Minnesota team to and the um and a center forward on this team to do um but what he does very well is is he causes confusion because he he sits in these horrible little areas in between the center halves and the full backs and center halves 
and and what I think he does really well, which I think has sort of gone not unnoticed, but hasn't been given the attention it deserves yet, is he's he's, he's done a fabulous job of pulling people away, pulling centre halves out of position. Um, mm. There's a reason why Molino and Reynoso have just started to click over the course of the last couple of weeks. Yes, no doubt, the two of them together without Robin Lourdes are, are very, very good and, and would, would give MLS teams nightmares for days. And they combine together very well indeed. But Robin Lourdes plays his part in this, Steve, because, as I said, when he pulls away a centre-half, it must be a nightmare to play against him as, as a defender because you, you don't know what to do because in the false nine role, you are essentially... You're supposed to drop deeper. And, and as a centre-half, what, what do you do in that situation? Because so many times now we see systems where it's it's all about man-marking. We, we see the, the zonal marking from time to time. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, if you've got a centre-forward and imagine you're the defender and Robin Lur drops 10 yards, what do you do? Do, do you go with him? Because if he's dropping to receive the ball, all of a sudden he's an extra body in midfield. What do you do? Do you drop? and then leave the gap behind you exposed, which Reynoso has taken advantage of, as has particularly Kevin Molino over the course of the last few games. Um, and as I said, be- because of, of all the intricacies of a regular centre-forward that perhaps Robin Lerd doesn't do, it- it's almost like a lot of these centre-halves are almost learning on the job because it- it- going up against Robin Lerd is something completely different. No doubt they will have gone up against, against false nines before, but these would have been false nines that are natural centre-forwards. Robin Lerd isn't. And ultimately, that provides a, a real element of confusion for the opposition. But it provides um, a heck of an opportunity for Minnesota United. And, and I don't think anybody... If you Imagine if you'd have said this even a month ago, Robin Lourdes playing as a centre-forward. People would have laughed. There's no way. But it, it's just... It's worked. It really has worked. And I'm really interested to see what he does on Thursday. Yeah, it's it's been it's been fun, uh, Cal, to watch him play, and I think he's 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 been a player who, uh, you know, from the time he joined the team, uh, it, you could see he had a, a, a fantastic brain, uh, you know, for football. Like he just he he thinks the game well, he positions himself well. Um, you know, I think immediately it was apparent that his fitness wasn't there when he joined the team. He had you know finished his season in Europe, and then he had had a layoff, and then come back. He had his first child was born during that first season. It was not an ideal situation for him, but you could always see that he knew what he should be doing. He knew, you know, he, you rarely saw like just him not doing the right thing. It was just, you know, a question of production. He had opportunities he couldn't finish. And now he's finishing those, uh, those chances first moving to the right and now moving into the, the sort of center forward role. Um, it's fun. And I think it's challenging because as you said, when he drops, the other thing is that when he drops, he's also a passing threat in a way that a lot of center forwards are not in the, in, in that, in that regard, you know, that the center forward is looked at as sort of the tip of the spear, right? So he's the center forward is the last guy who's going to have the ball before, before they score a lot of the time. Um, but you know, with Robin Ludd, you've got other guys around you who are also who are dangerous scorers that he can pass to and he's a tremendously dangerous passer so you put those two things together and as you said I think the confusion it's causing um is very interesting I think that um it brings in all kinds of opportunities as you said for Molino uh for Reynoso for Ethan Finlay you know who again is one of those guys where you know obviously in the last game against the Rapids you know he didn't get on the score sheet but, you know, it, it, it only just takes a minute and then the next game he's going to have a brace or something like that. Like the game is going to break in certain ways and you might have those opportunities. It depends on who his matchup is and everything like that. So it's just those four working together are doing great stuff. I, I am curious how much of it, the unorthodoxness uh, of it, 
the surprise element, you know, when you think about San Jose and how tough they were for other teams initially for a while and intermittently since then with man marking and they've had their own issues with, with, you know, players breaking down or, or sort of keeping up that scheme full time or do they need to do something else? But, you know, this is unorthodox. It's surprising. I, the, the one thing I'm worried about is like, if I can count on any coach out there to figure out what to do against something unorthodox, it's probably Peter Vermees. That's sort of the problem I see. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't disagree with you there, Steve. Um, but, you know, we, we spoke to Kerry Tavagnan, the assistant manager of Sporting KC on the other podcast earlier today. And, um, you know, he admitted that, that, you know, they will unsurprisingly draw a lot of attention to Emmanuel Reynoso because now Minnesota are, are a transitional team through the centre. Yes, they still go out wide from time to time, but um, I don't think they rely on, on the, the flying fullbacks as much as they have done anymore, you know, because of the presence of Reynoso. Right. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of it comes down to, you know, Reynoso has so much of the ball a lot of the time. He drops deep, sometimes deeper than Adrian Heath would like, I know. <laughs> um, but he wants the ball at the feet all the time. And um, the reason I bring this up is because um, Reynoso has had a lot of the ball, particularly in the attacking third, because Lerd will, will drop deeper. Robin Lerd will drop in this false nine position, meaning that someone's got to mark him. As I said earlier on, he becomes another man in midfield. Someone's got to mark him. And all of a sudden, he's pulling away a central midfielder, not just a centre-half. And all of a sudden, Reynoso's got all this space. And Robin Lerd, for, for me, Steve, has, has been um, supremely underrated. Um, and what a season he's had statistically as well, you know. So nine goals in all competitions um, this season. And uh, I, I would not bet against him getting another before the season ends as well, you know. So he's just caused, as you quite rightly say, a, a real element of confusion to the opposition. Um, and I'm really intrigued to see what happens because one would assume on Thursday it'd probably be Punchett Reed at centre half for, for Kansas City. I think Beasley's out with with a head injury, um, and and particularly Winston Reed's a vastly experienced centre half. So I do wonder, um, I do wonder what their plan is to sort of counteract because now, now Steve they will have seen tape the last two games they will have seen tape of Robin Lurie. So I wonder what they're going to do to try and counteract it. It'll be interesting. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll come back, circle back to Sporting Kansas City in a little bit. First of all, when injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers. With convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team, you're always close to the care you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. Before we circle back to SKC, I did want to bring up uh, sort of a terminology thing that I wanted to bring up uh, and educate everybody. Uh, I don't know if it's an official term, but I want to discuss the gentleman's hat trick. Are you familiar with the gentleman's hat trick? Um, is this when it's left foot, right foot, head? No, <laughs> no, good guess. That, that's called a perfect hat trick elsewhere. So go on, sorry. Uh, the gentleman's hat trick is three assists in a game. So you're, oh. <laughs> it, it's, poli- it's more polite than, than right. hat trick, okay. the idea is the gentleman's hat trick. And I am not sure of the provenance of this. Uh, I know Jeff Reuter, a uh, writer for The Athletic, has used it before. I don't know if it originated with him. I, can't, I, know, I think it starts at least a couple years ago. I, I, I can't remember if I heard it uh, or, or, or how this came through, but I do know I was there at the beginning of the gentleman's sweep, uh, which is a term which comes from the NBA. 
And uh, it is, as, as far as I know, uh, this, this, this is where the idea of the gentleman's hat trick also comes from. But it's uh, from the NBA playoffs, uh, you know, which is, it, it was a, a best, of, best of five, right? Or best of seven game, right? So you need to win four. And it's where you win 4-1, uh, usually losing like the game before the one you win. So you win three games, and then the other team, you let them have one win, and then you win the next game. So it's the gentleman's sweep. So instead of a sweep, it's a gentleman. It's like a little more polite. So the gentleman's hat trick is three assists. Uh, Emmanuel Reynoso uh, had a gentleman's hat trick the last game. Ludd, uh, these are include second. I'm including secondary assists for this because I believe Ludd had secondary assists to complete his. Ludd had one the game before that. Jan Gregus has also scored a gentleman's hat trick. It's a great fun term, and I encourage everyone to start using it. Um. Well, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll use it in the pub or when I'm with you. There we go. You know? Okay. You're not going to promise to use it on the broadcast, though. We'll see. We'll see. You'll think about it. Yeah, it's good. Uh, <laughs> it's a good term. One of the funnest thing is about, things about soccer is all the weird terms. I have found myself... Um, I was like, every time I, I feel like I get these all mixed up and then I have to go back and look at them. And it's like, I find myself watching a game and being like, okay, now goal line end line touch line like going like being like okay which ones are 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 all of these different things so that i always have to go in and look at all the uh the terminology let's talk about skc uh, a little bit the matchup coming up the main thing i wanted to focus on which this has come up with adrian heath a couple times uh is people have asked you know what do you do going to play in a place where you haven't won you haven't gotten a point or anything like that and his response has been well we've been terrible which is which is fair, basically, based on how the team has actually played. They've really never played a good game in Kansas City. Uh, the last game, uh, I, you know, I went back to check some, uh, you know, uh, mitigating circumstances. I would say here's the lineup from the last game at Sporting Kansas City from left to right, back to front. Raheem Edwards, uh, Bakai Debasi in his first game, uh, Jose Aja, uh, Boxy, and Marlon Harrison. And then Hassani, Dotson, James Musa, and Jan Gregush, and then Mason Toy and Jacory Hayes up top. So probably th- three of those people will play, will start like in this game that's coming up. So it's just like that lineup is just you throw out whatever happened in terms of the way that game was played. Right now, Minnesota United has a more or less completely healthy team aside from season injury, ending injuries to Tyler Miller and Luis Samaria, et cetera, like that. This is, I mean, I feel like you're going to get a, the same, about as good a lineup as you are, you could possibly hope for out of Minnesota United this season going to Kansas City right now. Yeah, I think so, Steve. And, and we, we spoke to Adrian Heath about this um, for the, the media availability, didn't we? I, I think um, I'm comfortable saying this. I, I said it on air, so I, I guess I've got to stick with it now. And, and um, I, I uh, am the firm believer, and this is nothing to do with... Um, with Kansas City, really, it's everything to do with Minnesota United. I think the intimidation of away SKC is nowhere near as large as it has been in the future. And as I said, nothing to do with Kansas City because they're still um, arguably pioneers in, in the way that they have done things over the last 10 years. Um, the way they play, the signings they've made, the stadium, all, all of the above. And they're still a very effective team. They finished top of the Western Conference. You know, they're still very, very good. Um, so it's going to be difficult regardless. It, it means everything in terms of Minnesota in the sense that that lineup you just mentioned there 
and the previous 11s that Minnesota have had when they've gone to Children's Mercy Park. Um, now it's completely different. Now they have several players we've just spent the last 20 minutes or so talking about. They have an Emmanuel Reynoso, who Kansas City haven't really had a proper chance to, to go up against yet. Mm-hmm. They have Michael Boxall and Gibassi, um, who have, have formed a wonderful partnership together. Um, let's assume they have um, Gregush or Alonso or Dotson, a, a fully healthy complement of central midfielders together. Um, and, and, and as we, we said earlier on, they have this um, the trickery of, of Robin Lurd to deal with as well, the confusion that causes. I, I think this will be a much more difficult task for Kansas City than they probably realise. Um, and as I said, that, that's why I think, because of the roster that Minnesota have put together, because of the reputation now, finishing fourth in the West two years in a row, um, there's not that fear factor anymore of going away to Kansas City because I feel as though Minnesota can match up against them. I'm not suggesting they go down there and, and play Kansas City at their own game because I think that, that's a, a recipe for disaster for most teams. But I, I don't think Minnesota will sit deep and look to counter either. I think they will continue to press and transition through the centre as they have done over the course of the last couple of months, you know, since Reynoso's come in. And, and I, I don't think Kansas City have, have dealt with a Minnesota side like this before. So um, whilst I, I'm still firmly of the opinion, Steve, that this is one of the more difficult places to go in Major League Soccer, and um, in a regular season, you take a tie every single day of the week, um, obviously that's not possible moving forward in, into this, this uh, elimination game. I think both sides will be as gung-ho as possible. I think an early goal is absolutely crucial in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think setting the standard and the tone will be massive. And for the first time ever, I can see Minnesota United doing that in the opening 10 minutes because of the players they have at their disposal. We've never, ever been able to say that before away at Kansas City. Sure. Yeah. I, and I, I think that it's also important that you not go to penalties against Tim Melia, I would have to say. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Definitely not go to penalties. I think there's also a real, a huge built-in advantage that Sporting Kansas City generally have at Children's Mercy Park at playing at home that they, that they no longer have, which is everybody's going to point to the supporters. That's really a, a case. But because teams are flying down the same day, they're not going to go out and eat barbecue the night before and be all logy and, and not able to play because they're full of ribs. So I think that like not having the threat of barbecue from Kansas City hanging over the players' heads is a huge one. That's, that, that's my big take on it. That, that, that's a great point, Steve. Let's hope the Kansas City chaps go out and have a humongous <laughs> slab of ribs the, the day before and hopefully they're all lethargic and Minnesota can take advantage. We'll see. Hey, look, I don't blame them. I don't, I've just spent a couple of days down there for Thanksgiving. I had ribs almost every day. It's amazing. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, it's terrific. It's terrific. All right, let's, uh, let's close. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, I want to t- touch on Diego Maradona, um, a, a, a legend. I mean, and we throw around the word legend a lot, but man, if you're talking about legends of soccer, that is a true legend of soccer. Uh, I wanted to open up, a, I had read an appreciation of him by Brian Phillips at The Ringer, who's a fantastic soccer writer. Uh, the two things I really liked from him is he talked about how <clears throat> you know, Maradona had an almost sort of uh, Keith Richards-esque reputation of, you know, his his life was lived to the max, uh, you know, and it seemed like he it could have died so many times based on his behavior and things he had done. But yeah. by this point, um, what Brian says is, it had begun to seem as though death was simply confused by him, like a cat trying to catch a laser pointer or like a third-rate defender watching him dribble. He had survived so much, much, 
surely he will survive his own death too. And then another beautiful line from him talking about seeing Maradona play. Uh, and he says, I don't know why anyone cares what a person can do with a ball. I only know that Maradona was able to do things with one that when you saw them made you feel like the universe was telling you a secret. And I think that's absolutely true. If you go back and watch Maradona at the bottom, he had uh, of the post, he had pasted a, uh, a video uh, from Maradona warming up the world cup in 1989. And it's just like a sideline shot of him just juggling. Like he's, there's music playing. He's kind of like getting into it. He's, and he's just juggling the ball. And what the, the way he is attached to that ball is just unreal. Just an incredible player and an incredible loss for the soccer world. I think for the sports world, Steve, um, not just soccer. I yeah. think, you know, there's, there's so many people that you, um, that you can identify as being big in the soccer world, but there's only a handful you can identify as being big in the sports world and the landscape uh, in general. You know, when, when you think of people like Kobe Bryant and, and uh, LeBron James, uh, Tiger Woods, um, I, I think Maradona is absolutely in that realm. Um, I think even the most casual soccer fan would have heard of the name of Diego Maradona. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a massive loss. You know, I, I, it was obviously before my time. I never got to see him play live or anything, but I've seen the tapes. And um, yeah, I'm firmly of the opinion that he, he would have been a joy to watch in, in this current um, iteration of the game. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm firmly um, a believer that he he would have had similar effects to that of Ronaldo and Messi and, and what have you, you know, and he, he, he was just a, a joy to watch, you know, um, he was, um, uh, he was beautifully chaotic as well. You know, there, there always seemed to be something with Maradona. Um, I remember the last world cup, 2018 world cup, where he was watching, um, watching Argentina and he was hanging out of his, his uh, suite, his box and, you know, screaming and what have you, and, and, and he looked a right state. It looked like he was having a great time, to be fair to him. But, it, you know, unfortunately for him, like, wherever he was, headlines always seemed to follow him. There always seemed to be a mess of some sort. Let me put it this way. Um, simplicity never seemed to follow Diego Maradona. It was the complete opposite. Um, and there's not many people around the world like that anymore, you know. And, and whilst, obviously, no one condones the bad sides of him, which we're all, we're all previously, we've, we've all seen, um, the good side of Maradona is is warm and welcoming. Um, I, I know of a handful of people that, that met him and always said nice things about him. Um, but either way, Steve, when, when you lose someone like that um, in, in world sports, it, it'll go down for a long time, you know. And and I, I know the Argentine government, um, they they said that we're going to have three days of national mourning. Um, there's, there's not many people that can shut a whole country down because of their death, you know, and... Um, He'll be missed for sure. Um, he was entertaining um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's going to be missed for sure. And, uh, you know, the, the only, the major thing now, Steve, um, that, that he, I'm sure, will always be proud of and look down on is the fact that he inspired so many people. Um, lost count the amount of articles I've read of, of people who said they watched him and have watched tapes of him and were inspired by him, you know. Um, there's a reason why the number 10 is um is so well thought of around the world and it's because of him and the way he plays so the way he played so um yeah it's it's a tremendous loss um and uh the only thing i will say is though that he will he will live on through through the countless amounts of stories that i'm sure people will tell for an eternity 
Yeah, it was really fun to see. Like, uh, I think it was uh, Messi was so it had had his Newell's old boy jersey, old boy's jersey under there. So he celebrated a goal by taking it off, and obviously a tribute to his, his countryman there. And I know it's the thing that's come up with people talk to Reynoso about it, and and sort of being another from being from Argentina and all of this stuff like that. And they, it's it's a tremendous legacy. I would recommend anybody go and check out. Also, Pablo Pablo Moore had a great article earlier this year on the Athletic. Um, that was about when Maradona came to Canada. He played in one game for Toronto Italia in 1996. And that was a real nice uh, read to get sort of a slice of Maradona also as a person, like you're saying, because again, he as loud and brash and sort of troublesome and, and, and difficult as he could seem to be. It, person to person it seemed like he was just a super generous soul somebody who always wanted to get the best for the people he played with um and i agree with you totally cal that there's there's an un sort of an unfinished roughness to him and and looking back at his career just what you read about him and and what you see that in this day and age it seems like everybody's really aware of how they project on social media like how they how they market their brand how they sell their shoes how they do all that stuff and it's i understand it's like you got to be aware of that stuff that's the age we live in but you know he had that that feel of like i'm just gonna live <laughs> and do everything i can uh and and i remember that i remember that well that moment from the world cup in 2018 of, of, of his celebration and it really encapsulated a lot about him i think yeah it did he'll be missed for sure and uh, like i said it, it's a huge loss for for the entire sports world not just soccer and as i said there's only a handful of people you can really say that about um and he's certainly one of them yeah well rest in power Diego Maradona. Thanks for joining us for the 122nd Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. Minnesota United next head south to face Sporting Kansas City in the Western Conference semifinals on Thursday, December 3rd at 7.30 p.m. That game will be broadcast again on Fox. Just Fox. Just the big Fox. You can listen on Score North. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. And Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Venturis. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are. <laughs>